Okie dokie dokie do. Recording. Yes, we are. Welcome to this week's Yawa. We are here and we are ready to chit chat with you all. We have a couple uh, fun things to talk about this week. First of all, I've got some new pigeons coming. This is kind of an exciting thing. So I've got uh, legit homing pigeons. Any of you all that follow our homing pigeon videos, the little vlog things that I put out, we've got some really cool updates to show you. Um, Some new stuff's coming in. And also with that is coming some pigeons. I don't know exactly how this works. I ordered them and I'm going to have to play it by ear a little bit and see. But I think essentially... Pigeons in the mail. Yes. I mean... It has to cool down a little bit is part of it, I think. Probably. But it's crazy to me that you can order pigeons from Pennsylvania through the mail. Yeah. Essentially, they come in a box and then you go to the post office and pick them up. So we'll see how this happens, how this works, and we will keep you posted. Definitely we'll be blogging it, so everybody should stay tuned for that. Uh, next thing that we've got is later this month, which is actually... Next week. Next week. What? Kat and I are going fishing in Alaska. Which we wanted to do forever, and Pretty, I'm... This has been like a 10-year attempt at planning this. Yes. And finally, we have... A little more flexibility and the ability to do this and... Enough help from our team, essentially. Which is hugely important. We have a litter going home right before this, so we will be puppy litter free, which makes a big difference as well. Yep. And uh, so this was my anniversary gift to Kat. Which is really cool. And it was supposed to be a surprise. It was supposed to be essentially... Uh, Me giving her plane tickets, I don't know, I had planned on like a week ahead of time so that she would have time to plan a little bit, but... Because I like to plan things. And uh, you need enough people to fill out a boat, so I talked to some of our buddies and I was like, hey, I'm trying to plan this as a surprise thing for Kat for our anniversary. So some of you know, if you watch our channel, if you don't, you, and this is the first video that you're finding of ours, you should hit the subscribe button, go back through some of the other ones. In one of our previous Yawa videos, we had our buddy on who is a veterinarian of texas dr Um, peter dr peter armstrong dvm (laughs) i don't know this is silly inside joke but the um essentially i said this is a surprise deal you guys in yep in said okay this is the deposit i paid the deposit if you guys want to send me your parts and what does he do he sends it to cat via paypal because i keep track of the paypal and books and listed with Alaska trip. I'm like, what, like is this Alaska what is this trip? Alaska trip? What are we? Do, what is Peter doing in Alaska? Why is he sending us money? I'm like, this is <sighs> going to be hard to explain. The only way I can make it through this is lying, and you're going to see through all of that. So, so I got an early surprise, which actually I truly appreciate Ethan trying to surprise me, and I am really glad that it got blown because I need time to plan and a week would have definitely not given me enough time to get the appropriate deck boots and make sure that I got rain gear because it's not a balmy 90 degrees out up in Alaska right now. We're looking at maybe 60 degrees plus we'll be on the ocean halibut fishing so it's going to feel cooler and colder than that. So I need a chance to make sure I've got the appropriate attire. We will be fishing with Captain Liska, I believe is on how you say Viking? that. On the Viking, which is a pretty good-sized boat out of Seward, Alaska. And we're doing an overnight fishing trip, so we will be bombing out, I think, five hours, they said, which I don't know exactly how many miles that will be, but a long way. I would assume we won't be able to see land in any direction. And... That's where we should be able to go potentially find the bigger boys when it comes down to halibut fishing. So we're and, both really excited. Yeah, and I'm super excited. But I wanted to mention when I was looking for proper attire, and I get asked a lot, you know, what kind of clothing do you wear? Blah, blah, blah. What do I recommend? And I actually found a new pair of pants. So I want to share that with you ladies that are watching. A new pair of pants that I absolutely love from Eddie Bauer. They are, they, they're their uh, pro guide pants and they have two styles. They have a uh, more like a narrow leg, capri, not capri, crop pant style, and then a regular straight leg style. And I have both and I love them both. Super comfortable, 
They are moisture wicking and um, have a little bit of stretch. So they've got some comfort, but I really like them. I plan on bringing them with me to Alaska as well as I've been wearing them in the field around here already. And they are great. So check those out if you're looking for a good field type style pant. Um, For summer. It's a spring summer type of thing. Yeah. yeah, They're not super thick. They're not going to like be my go-to hunting pants. pants. Yeah. They're not my go-to hunting pants for South Dakota or anything like that. Uh, but for spring, summer, early-ish fall field stuff, they're going to be perfect for training and bombing up to Alaska and things like that. Absolutely. Uh, everybody always wants to know, what are we drinking today? Just a good old-fashioned Chickalobe Ultra. So, and I'm stick- schmancy here. And I got my go-to Bud Light Chilada. And for those of you in New York that don't know what this is, this is what people call a red beer. A red beer. Yeah. You can order them at a bar. They just bring you tomato juice. This has got tomato juice and some spices bottled by Bud Light. And Mm. even if you try and recreate this. no bush latte, but. If you really try and recreate this on your own, you're going to come close, but it's not going to be this good. Pretty much. So I want to answer a question. Okay. So before we get into questions, I want to explain this to everybody that's listening right now. Oh, right. This is important. This is important. Sirens and all that stuff. Um, First of all, we are only taking questions now off of YouTube. So if you're watching or listening to this now, you need to be bebopping into the comments. Tell us what you think about what we're wearing, what we're doing, or better yet, ask us a question that then we can answer for you next week. All right, let's get started. Okay, so here is a question from O4 Reno Star. Oh, yeah. One question that I have that I haven't heard you talk about yet is transitioning a puppy from spending the night in his crate to spending the night in a bed. Don't do it. We have a young... Joking. German wire hair pointer, 17 weeks old, that's awesome at sleeping Mm. in his crate through the night. Okay. Hasn't had an accident in the house for over a month now either. We figure he's still too young to trust in the bedroom outside his crate through the night right now. But how, when would you look to transition away from crating at night? And I thought that's a really good question. It's an excellent question. We've made that mistake multiple times, haven't we, Kat? I don't know of which you speak, Mm -hmm. honey. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's a really good question, and um, we typically have our go-to answer of about a year. That just typically means that the dogs are more mature, um, definitely have lots of bladder control, as well as have had a lot more obedience training. Typically, we want dogs that are already understanding and collar conditioned to stay on a dog bed. Not that we're asking them to wear their collars overnight to stay on a dog bed, but once we have a really good understanding of obedience training, Um, and collar conditioning to stay on the dog bed, that understanding is really strong. And so if they wander off their bed in the middle of the night, you can ask them to kennel and they know what that means. It's been reinforced and they can get back on their dog bed. We have some of our personal dogs that like to creep, 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 creep around to my side of the bed because our bedroom's set up with the bed in the middle of the room, dog beds along one side of the room where the windows are, which is on Ethan's side of the bed, we go around the bed to my side and then the door to the rest of the house. And the dogs know that I'm the softy, so they'll around to my side of the bed, put their head on the bed and be like, please let me in bed with you. And depending on, <laughs> depending on the night and if Ethan's there or if he's gone, um, I will either say, yeah, come on up, or I'll be like, no, get back on your beds. And then they know back to their beds. So And that's all of our mature dogs. You know, Nix is really good about asking to get in bed. He wants in bed any opportunity he gets. And he's eight years old. So he's not getting into anything, but he's definitely not staying on his dog bed all night long. Or most nights he is, but then there's those opportunities where he wants to try and get in bed with us. What you end up with with a dog that's under that year mark sometimes is more of a dog that has some busier type of energy. And when we have attempted with slightly younger dogs that are really clean and well-behaved and do all of the things, sometimes stuff gets into overnight where 
Um, we've lost like, quite a few decorative pillows where in the middle of the night they've wandered over and found a pillow. So the they pillows. chewed the corner off. Or I think I'm down to two decorative pillows out started of with like 22. So there was not 22. Yeah. There was pro- no. There might have been six or eight or something. 11. <laughs> there were 11. There were 11 decorative pillows. and we're Some d- of them real small-like. Some of them real yeah. big-like. And we're down to one, two, three, four, six. And two of those are chewed still. They just haven't no, been No, those are still on the bed. <laughs> those are still on the bed. But I can't get rid of them because I need something to replace them, and I haven't figured that out yet. So they just have corners chewed off of them. So the answer is... Never. <laughs> do what we say, not what we do. Pretty much. But uh, ultimately what it comes down to is the older the dogs are, typically the less chance you are have of losing your stuff. Yeah, or get they get into the garbage. You know, sometimes when we've got younger dogs up that we'll make sure we close the bathroom door so that they don't wander into the bathroom, dig through the trash, scatter that all over the bedroom. These are all things that have happened. So believe me, we've tried to see, hey, can we let a younger dog up? And it always seems like if it's just one, if we just let one dog be up, they're much better behaved than when we've got four or five all up at the same time. It's like they feed off of the excessive short hair energy that's accumulated in the room. And they're like, oh, we can all get into stuff. Sounds great. They're stronger together. Yeah. So, um, I would definitely say waiting. You've got a 17-week-old puppy that's doing great in the crate, doing great overnight. Let's not set them up for failure. Let's keep building on that success Mm -hmm. and working through some of the more um, distance, duration, distractions of place training. That's going to make your puppy a lot more solid when it comes to staying on a dog bed. Because if your puppy can't stay on a dog bed through distractions and duration during the daytime, when you're able to keep your eyes on them and focused and, you know, correct them if they make a mistake, they're definitely not going to be able to stay on that dog bed overnight when you aren't able to pay attention. Correct. That was a really good question. Be-bop-ba-doop-ba-dop-ba. Oh, we have another announcement to make. I want to make it. Can I make it? I'm going to make it. So. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, he doesn't know what the announcement is that I'm going to make, but he knows about this. y'all are about, about to learn something that maybe we should have maybe learned me on beforehand. No. This is from Garrett Tan. It's just a comment, not a question. Can't wait for the 50,000 subscriber video now. Awesome content as always. Well, thank you, Garrett. And if you guys don't know what the 50,000 subscriber video is, we talked about what we're going to do at 50,000 subscribers. 15. Which we're just over 40,000 now. So hopefully it won't take too much longer. So subscribe. At the rate at which we're growing right now, it should take three months. How long do you guys think that you can cut that down by? That's my question. Yeah. Cause like there's 65% of people that watch this stuff, all our content that don't subscribe. So subscribe, get us there faster and hear the origin story of the pink gun. Yeah, baby. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, baby. So I wanted to just mention that because um, we mentioned it before, but if we don't keep mentioning it, nobody's going to subscribe and get us there faster. Cause I want to have Ethan share this story. Okay. Cat hasn't even heard it. That's not true. False black bear. So this is a question that I want to answer. Name that reference. You'll get a gold star. <laughs> You'll get a thumbs up from us on the comments. Um, we might even heart it. Can we heart those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll heart yep. it. So this is a question um, from Chet Cotton. He is actually a patron. So is Garrett Tan. Oh, Garrett. I didn't know Garrett was too. And yeah. he just got a puppy. So awesome possum. Yep, yep. This is a question from Chet. He said, what temperature ranges are safe for my GSP to travel in his crate in the back of my truck? And how do I expand that safe range? What tips and tools can you share? And I thought this was a really good question to answer because right now we still have some pretty hot afternoons. We're moving towards the direction of hunting season. So hoping fingers crossed for some cooler weather. And then obviously as it continues cooling off, we're going to get cold. It's going to get winter. You're going to go north, things like that. So we need to make sure that we're advocating for our dog and being safe for them. So I wanted to talk about um, safe temperature ranges for them. And then he had mentioned like tips and tricks to expand that range, which I think he's probably referring to uh, maybe kennel covers or fan systems or 
dog trailers or bringing the dogs into the vehicle. So I thought that was a good one that we should answer today. Yeah. So the biggest part with that is going to be, there's a lot of factors that play into it. First of all, temperature or ambient temperature is not the only one that you can look at. It can be 85 degrees outside and cloudy and it not feel as hot or be as hot on them as 85 degrees and bright and sunny. I think everybody has had the opportunity to experience that at some time. It's like, huh, it doesn't really feel like 80 today. It feels cooler or whatever. And that's going to play into that with the dogs. The next side of it is any kind of wind and what direction that wind is coming from. Because you could be 85 degrees and have a north wind that's cooling you, even though you're still in the 85 degree range. Um, The other side of it would be Anytime you have those, or you could have a south wind that it feels like winds. a convection oven. Yes, um, humidity is going to play a big role in that too. So if you have the quote unquote dry heat, all you Arizona fans know what I'm talking about. Represent, or you have You're not the from Arizona. No, but I want you all to represent the comments, people. So the the next side of it would be though, if you go easterly, you know, like uh, where, where were you? Fort Knox, Kentucky, is that right? Oh my gosh, that yeah, was so, so humid. It's kind of a, a fun early story when Kat and I were still dating. I rode with her mother uh, 15, 18, 20 hours, something a long, long way. way. And at that point in time, I'd only met her one time, but she and I drove all overnight. We had an interesting snafu in St. Louis in the middle of the night in the wrong part of town when we got off. And this was before we had map quests printed off, right? So no GPSs on the phone. Got turned around a little bit, trying to get back to where we needed to go. And... Anyhow, drove all night, get out of the car, and was hit by this wall of... Humidity. Yes, it was like, took my breath away. Couldn't breathe at all for a few seconds while I was getting used to that. And so that's something that definitely needs to play into consideration here. All of these factors. So it's not just temperature, but you need to be able to read the dog. I mean, if you're standing outside sweating and you can't stand it, your dog is probably feeling the same pain, even though it can't sweat to actually cool itself down. So... All of those things being said, I think if you're on the the subcategory of 80 degrees, have plenty of air movement and ventilation, and you're not in direct sunlight, you're going to be all right. If not, bring them into the cab. Pretty much. There are some uh, trailers that have air conditioners. Those are a good option. There's been a few times where we've bumped into that, where we're warmer than that, and things that we've done to help the dogs is A, um, waited until the evening to drive or got so up there's really not that early. direct hot sunlight. Yep, waited some time period out to to fall into the cooler zones of the day, and then the other side of it. And this there's a lot of mixed opinions on this, so you can look it up or you can write it down. Tell us what we did wrong, but um, ice. I threw ice in a lot of buckets to cool dogs down, uh, cool down the aluminum boxes that they're laying in. And that only lasts for so long, but a lot of times it melts, the dogs get wet, then the air blowing over them helps to cool them down and as well. And we've even soaked dogs down, you know, hosed them down, got them completely wet before they've been in their boxes yeah. with the fans running and stuff to give us a little bit more um, cooling effect. Because yep. like Ethan said, they don't sweat. So um, that evaporative cooling, they can't produce for themselves. So if we can create that for them, with wetting them down and then having that air movement, that will help them cool as well. Yeah. One time, I think it was, we were somewhere and we had to be home for something. And it was like, we need to get these guys home. We need to get home safe for them and everything else. And we probably stopped every hour to wet them down. That was headed back from Brewster. Yes, it was headed back from Brewster. And what we were avoiding was a giant hail storm. I mean, it was, and we almost made it out of there in time and the side of the truck turned into hamburger, but we got away from it, but they were, and then it cooled down guys. It cooled down real fast. Yeah. So anyhow, it was, uh, there've been some times where we've been traveling where it'd be on that edge of comfort level. And those are some of the things that we've done with, uh, ice and cool water and fans and everything else to try and help. And, you know, there's uh, a difference between what's ideal and what's doable and then what's dangerous. So And if you're not traveling with multiple dogs in a trailer situation, definitely if you're on that verge of, I don't know, just bring them in the cab. Um, It's going to be overall better for them, not as stressful for them to be in a cooler environment. Um, And then the opposite can be said for 
too cold of temperatures. We definitely don't want them. I think that's the one that gets overlooked way more than too hot. People go, it's hot outside. I should probably keep them in the cab. Yep. And they, and people think that the dogs, um, you know, they've got these fur coats, they can handle colder temperatures, um, but they're back there shivering their butt off and burning calories and losing weight just to try and maintain body temperature. The, and that's the side of it that people miss is, uh, it's again, like I just mentioned, what is ideal, what is manageable or dealable with, and then what is dangerous. And there's a, a lot that fall into the dangerous category that dogs can survive, but they burn. I can look up a statistic. I don't know if I'll even be able to find it in this episode, but it's something to the extent of 10 times more calories um, shivering than they do even exercising something ridiculous like that. So it's why dogs go when you're in colder temperatures and everything else, they turn to skin and bones real fast. Yeah. So definitely insulated crate covers, insulated trailers, hay bedding. Yep. Yeah. Bedding. So, uh, the ticket with that would be straw. Straw has more insulating factor than what grass hay, which is what I said first hay. Um, and even better than like cedar shavings or anything, but but some form of insulator would be good. Yep. And then again, bring them inside. Bring them in the cab if you are ever unsure of what temperature they can withstand. Absolutely. Great question. That's all we have time for in part one. We're going to take a short break and we will be right back with you. Hold on. I, I I need to collect my thoughts. No time to collect collection, my thoughts. Collection. I'm going to give you this job. Then you will not be so quick to push the button. Deal. Uh, should we get started with questions right away or should we actually talk about what we're doing right here right now? Welcome to this week's Yawa episode. Part two. Part two. Episode, I don't know, something. Pop up a number here. Wherever we're at in this game, um, this is part two of this week. If you missed part one, go back and watch it. If this is your first time to the channel, hit the subscribe button. And we like to give you announcements about what we're doing, answer some questions, and uh, incorporate some shenanigans whenever we have possible possibilities. So what we are working on first is questions. And so you folks know, these questions come directly from the comments in this video. So next week we'll be skimming through your comments, throw them in there. Funny stuff we'll incorporate. Questions we'll answer for you, and uh, obscenities we will delete. So beep, beep. Funny, funny. You should uh, mention things that are funny. Okay, what do we got? Aaron Mumblu. Ooh. Thank you for answering my question. You're, You're welcome. very welcome. A lot of good info. Also. I feel like me and plenty other subscribers would really enjoy watching Ethan sip on some bourbon, cat talk about dog training, all while there are baby goats jumping around in the background. I vote yes on the goats. I vote yes no, on the goats too. No on the goats. Absolutely yes. First of all, where are we going to do this? Where do you think we're going to set this stuff up that you're going to be able to watch goats all nimble mimbling behind us? I haven't completely thought that out yet, but you know, I will come up with it. If you, if you give me the okay on goats, I will come up with the perfect arrangement for them. If we, we if we build it, they will come. Yes. I think that's exactly what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what a lot of people were saying on YouTube. We got a ton of comments about yes to the goats. Somebody, um, um, Chet Cotton said to get llamas instead. Watch out. They spit. No, oh, those are camels. camels. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that from a Disney movie, so it's got to be accurate. <laughs> All your your factual information comes from Disney movies nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so I think we should get goats and maybe some llamas. I mean, throw them in there. Why not? Well, right now, why not is the fact that we have CRP everywhere and can't effectively put animals on them without buying that out. Only till 2026, though. Oh, so future goals. Stay tuned, folks. We'll have some goats in a while. (laughs) That's only like six years from now. 
Rock and roll. Baby. Aiden will be the perfect age to take care of them. It will be his little 4-H hobby farm thing. I like it. Mm. So I'm going to answer a question now. Okay. Not what just do we talk got? about goats. From Tyler Cook. Hey, Tyler. First, love your channel and all of your content. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I have a 13-week-old GSP named Paisley. Paisley, I love it. I have moved through Target here and sitting with positive reinforcement clicker training. Fantastic. Just started free shaping place training with positive reinforcement using her crate and she is doing great. I just got her a cot style bed and was curious if I continued her place training with the bed and the crate, would that confuse her? Should I stick with one physical place this early in the game? And I was like, we have got to answer this question because A, if you've been following along with some of our other videos, you will know about our new little lab puppy, Clutch, who is adorable. Um, if you don't know about Clutch, then you should be subscribing and hitting notifications so you know about him and get to see him in these cute little videos we're doing of him. Yes, absolutely. We just did a crate, no, not crate training, place training, place training free video. shaping video today. Yes, and he made it look stupid easy. And sometimes it's like, yeah, you get this like, ha ha, you did that really well because I like to say that our dogs are smart, and I honestly believe that your dogs are as smart. The biggest difference is, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, is the person that is training them makes a difference. And with that comes timing. And I believe that somebody brought this up We're going to We're, we're getting, getting there. To that. So we'll get timing. there next. We'll Remember get there next. the timing aspect of things. But all that being said, he went through this, and you're going to have to watch. It's going to come out here in the next few days to a week. Um, he did stupid fast. You know, I was like, all right, we might have to set up a time lapse on this one because it, it could take a while, 20, 30 minutes of a session, waiting for him to make micro movements toward the place board and we mark something similar, but he got lucky right off the bat and understands the clicker and the rest of it, you're just going to have to watch in the video, but it looked really good. And free shaping for all of you that may be just tuning in and learning about what free, sh free shaping is. It is basically playing hot and cold with your puppy. Essentially, to that's a get, good way to explain To it. get them to exhibit a behavior that we are specifically looking at them to exhibit, whether that's sitting or laying down or getting on a dog bed. And through positive reinforcement and clicker training and good timing, we can shape those behaviors of them getting on their dog bed or whatever the behavior we're working on is getting in a crate. And because they figured out how to do it on their own, not by baiting, not it's by manipulating so it's, them. It's it, reinforcement based training, right? Right. Yes. Okay. It, and because we didn't bait them onto the bed because we didn't just pick them up and put them on the bed and reinforce that because it was their own idea of how to get rewarded. Yep. It is so much more powerful. And that behavior is stronger than if we had had to, like I said, bait them onto the bed or something like that. So you get to watch their brains start turning and the gears are working and they're going, what do I have to do? And they may try and jump at you. They may try these things. They may bark, whatever. All of those things. And then when they finally figure it out, this is what you wanted, or this is what I'm going to get rewarded for. It's like repeat, 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 repeat. And it helps to have a dog that has good desire and lots of ability and intelligence and a willingness focus. to work and learn and focus and all of those things. And that comes down to good breeding. Yes. So to get back to answering your question, Tyler, so it sounds like your puppy's doing a really good job with place training in a crate. And you want to be able to transition onto a dog bed. So my recommendation before starting with the dog bed is if you have introduced your cue yet of kennel or place or whatever your cue would be to get your puppy to go in their crate, I would want that to be really solid first before necessarily introducing a new place for them to go. What are your thoughts? Well, that's the the other side of it's just going to be dependent upon if they're right next to each other. If they're in completely separate areas, it won't be that big a difference to teach them. You could even them. remove one then yep, from that area. Yeah, pull one out, just work on one thing at a time. And we talk about that. And in this new training series, I'm trying to go step by step, but I'm, I'm essentially trying to answer more people's questions. So this is with Clutch. If you're watching through his series, it's a good one. Because we're trying to explain a lot of these type of questions that people are asking on a regular basis. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this? We've already seen you teach this, but is this okay or is this okay? And so on and so forth. So in that situation, I specifically talk about when teaching 
to keep it to one individual thing per session. Ideally, we have a decent understanding before we move on to something new, but as long as it's one thing you're teaching per session, it really doesn't matter as much if they have a strong understanding of that versus that. You're teaching them something new, and eventually you're going to have to build a good understanding of all of the things, but just don't be mix-match until you have a really good understanding of multiple things. Um, don't incorporate them into one session. That's really great, and I kind of agree with you. Kind of? No, I agree with him. Ah! But like Ethan was saying, though, with this series, our goal for Clutch in this series, and even with some of the things that we're doing with Thunder, is to fill in the blanks, fill in the holes, fill in the things that we are getting more and more questions about that our previous puppy training series have maybe left out or missed the the explanation for. for or didn't help connect the dots quite as well as we'd like to. I mean, you know, some of these series are which we've gotten comments on some of our series from the get-go. They're like, wow, compared then to now, huge difference. Who thinks we should do some reaction videos? That was one thing I was talking to Kat. We should sit and watch some of our old videos and do reaction videos to those. Throw that in the comments below. Yeah, somebody actually commented recently on one of our first original Train to Tree videos from, those were the first ones we did, which were like eight years ago, nine years ago now. Yeah, audio kind of sucks. Yeah, the audio like, is bro, terrible. I shot it on my iPhone seven Outside. series ago. I mean. <laughs> of course it was terrible. We had no equipment. We had no patrons to help us get cool equipment. So yeah, we, um, we've come a long way and we're hoping to continue progressing with our audio and video and all the things. So it was just really interesting. Um, seen some of those comments recently. Absolutely. So to answer, to comment, to bring up the This is to move into the next thing was timing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So what do we got? From Shannon Golden. This is a comment on one of our previous Yawas that we had asked about. What do you guys think? Is timing more important? Um, Consistency more important? Blah, blah, blah. Because we were saying that timing Timing is, is the, the most, most important, important part of dog training. And we said, hey, if 100%, you don't- 100%, hands down, the most important. Yes. And I said, hey, if you don't agree with us, mm-hmm. or if you think there's something else that's more important than timing, put it in the comments so that we can talk about it. Because, hey, discussions are good. Absolutely there. So Shannon Golden said, consistency is better or just as important as timing. And I thought that was a good thing to bring up because- I believe that consistency is also important, but... I believe that consistency falls in place too. It's a hard second place. This is not by, this is, you know, by like two or three lengths here. This is a hard second place. This is not a photo finish. Right. But it is up It's not this close. It's this close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So timing is most important, but consistency is also important. And the reason that consistency is not more important than timing is... If you're trying to teach a dog something through, let's say, free shaping, like we just mm-hmm. talked about, yep. and your puppy gets on the dog bed, hops off the dog bed, and you mark them getting off the dog bed, your timing, your timing is, off. is off. Yep. But then the next time they hop on the dog bed, they hop off the dog bed, you mark again. So you're being really consistent about when you're marking the behavior, yeah. but you're trying to teach them to get on the dog bed, and so your timing is terrible. So what is your puppy learning? Hey, I'm getting rewarded for coming off my dog bed. So though you're being very consistent, you're not still teaching the behavior that you're looking to teach. Same with sitting. Like if you're trying to teach your puppy to sit and your timing is off and your puppy sits and then jumps at you and you mark that and then they do do it again and again. And you're super consistent about marking when they're jumping at you, not when their butt's hitting the ground. Your timing is off because you're not marking the sit behavior. And your puppy's learning, hey, jumping at my mom and dad is the best thing ever because I'm getting rewarded time and time and time again. So essentially, if you're consistently doing the wrong thing. Your puppy learns the wrong thing. Your puppy learns the wrong thing. But if your timing is right and you don't do it consistently, you're also not going to teach very fast either. So they are both important. Yes. But, but definitely, I, if you are in the, I'm saying, I'm, if you are consistent with what you're doing and it's wrong, you're not going to get any better. Right. But I also want to say dogs with a lot of focus, a lot uh-huh. of intelligence, don't need, 
as many consistent reps to still get that understanding. Because like we saw with Clutch's training session, and that's what we keep referring to right now because we literally shot that video this morning. So it's Mm -hmm. really fresh in our minds. Two timing marks. And he had it. Had I done them wrong, he would have. And that's the key with the the, um, free shaping behaviors, right? So he, and I'm going to ruin this whole video. You're going to have to go watch it, but... Spoiler still, alert. Spoiler alert. But he, um, essentially he made a movement toward touch to the dog bed and I was able to mark that. And if I had missed that, that was the first opportunity in that session that he did it. If I had missed that, then it would have not processed in his brain that that was something that was important. And he would have potentially, potentially not tried that again for quite some time. So the fact that I was focused, ready, paying attention, and my timing was perfect or very darn close to perfect means that it helped move forward with that. And if your timing is not right, you will not be teaching the right things, no matter how consistent you are about doing anything. But if you have the right timing and you're not consistent, you're also not going to make progressions very quickly either. So you do need both, but in our opinion, timing is the most important. Consistency comes second. And we are debating what is third. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll let you know. But speaking of clutch, because who can't talk about that cute little ball of black fluff? We had some name suggestions because we still need to come up with a registered name. And we were like, hey, give us some give us some input. Why not? Right. We had some really good ones. And I'm just going to read a few. David Polinsky. He had two really good ones. Hey, David. Lone Ducks Clutch Performance and Lone Ducks Coming in Clutch. Nice. I like those. Chet Cotton said, Lone Ducks Baller Shot Caller. (laughs) And Drew Clements said, Lone Duck Dump the Clutch. Like a race car. Labs just peel out of the blind after ducks. That, I, that. That is, see, when we did the video, which I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, um, when we were up there, Bob and I shot a video about the things that we like about labs, and one of those was the explosiveness of them. They go from zero to 100 in like that. I mean, it is just, they're gone. So, uh, dump the clutches uh, is pretty pretty clever. I like that. Yeah, I like that one too. I also really like Lone Ducks coming in clutch. So we're going to have to do some more percolating on the names Mm -hmm. and come Mm -hmm. up with one pretty darn soon. But at least we have his call name now, which is really kind of the most important thing. So we're not saying puppy, puppy, puppy. So thank you all for uh, throwing those names out there. We really appreciate it. So I also wanted to talk about this question. And I think it brought, got brought up because we were talking about, you know, becoming a master hunter in our last Yawa and not every dog has what it takes to maybe become a master hunter, but definitely a dog being handled by a professional versus somebody that doesn't necessarily know what they're doing. Those dogs might have the potential of getting there had they not been handled by an amateur. Sure. So this question I thought was really good from Alden Fico. No. Filco. Filco, so sorry. This I need binoculars. No, what are those? Binoculars? Bifocals. <laughs> Whatever. I need we could just turn the settings up to old lady on there. Yeah, I need those. Uh could you guys go over the order and process of Master Hunter certification and such? And at what point is it out of the reach of someone learning to train their own dog versus professionals like you? Well, anybody can do it. Uh, the thing that I think eats up a majority of people that attempt is the insane amount of time, effort, and energy that goes into just the testing process alone. It will take you a while to complete the process if you are only testing at your local grounds. You are not traveling to test, which involves hours, hundreds and hundreds of miles on a pickup truck, and hotels multiple and, and hotels and weekends and a big commitment. And that's where the average professional finishes dogs faster because they say, well, this weekend we're going here. Next weekend we're going there. And when I get into the spring and I'm running dogs, it's every single weekend until my dogs are done. That starts usually the first weekend in April. Sometimes, Sometimes I squeak in, March. in. 
there's always a test last weekend in March, but the weather is usually iffy enough that you could be running in a snowstorm, and I'm not a big fan of that. So um, it's essentially the first to second weekend in April. There's usually a little gap. It's like the people in Nebraska there are kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. They're like, we are getting a test the first weekend in March. Sometimes there is a test. It's the last weekend in March. It's always the last weekend in March. Oh, is it now? Who sends in most of the test entries? Who attends the tests? Who puts them on the calendar? Okay. I lose. Okay. I'm pretty but. sure that it's like the 4th and 5th of March a lot of times. Obviously, this year things It's in happen. March. And I am not going to argue with you. I do not know well enough. But I'm almost certain it's the last. Almost certain it is still not good enough to argue with the calendar over here. The... um. But then it's every single weekend. Boom, 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 boom. And in the fall, a lot of times that starts in September-ish. And I will go up to Minnesota. Minnesota is any of which somebody had somebody on uh, Patreon that was saying that they, I was like, where are you from? They're having trouble finding birds. And they're like, uh, Minneapolis. I'm like, you are in like the square center of the bird dog training mecca. You should be able to find somebody with some pigeons for you. So um, help them out a little bit with that, which is what we can do for a lot of folks. If you're interested, need help, need something else, this up at patreon.com slash standings, don't kennels, or if we don't get your question here in the Yawa bebop over there, I'm sitting down keyboard worrying those every single morning. So the, um, long story short, I travel a lot, which gives the dogs a lot more opportunities. If you are going, we're going to go to this test and you maybe have a a single weekend where it's two opportunities or a double-double where you get four opportunities even, you still need six passes. And if this is your first time doing it, you're going to make handler mistakes, most likely. Um, and that's going to extend the process out a little bit. I think the the statistics is somewhere in the 20-ish range, plus or minus a few points of people that start the master test. 20%. 20% yep. of people that start the master process, they enter a master event, start headed down that road, less than 20% finish. And to answer... Not very good numbers. Not very high percentages, no. no, um, no to no. answer your question, too, about what it takes to be a master hunter, I think that that title, that that word, a master dog, a master hunter, a mas- and people sometimes say, I got a master champion. And I don't think that there's a lot of understanding about what it truly takes and what we are talking about when we're talking about a master hunter. So in the AKC, mm-hmm. master hunter hunt test, it's not a competition. It's competing against a standard. So it's not first Every place, second can, place, third yeah, place. Every dog could potentially pass, pass if they all do well enough. But what they're looking for is a dog that can stand steady to wing, shot, fall, and then be sent to make a retrieve. So that means the dog goes on point. They stand there until the bird is flushed, until the bird is shot, until the bird hits the ground, and until you send the dog that was on point fetch. Then they get to go make that retrieve, and it has to be returned to hand. Yep. Then another part of that is... And it doesn't have to be a machine-like straight out, straight back. That's how you get the best quality score, but it's got to be pretty minimal fiddle farting around. I mean, if they drop bobble at once because the bird's still alive or some other things happen, you maybe have to handle once you get a lower score, but it's not going to fail you if you have some, some other options in there to kind of help. Yeah. And there's some gray area or, you know, interpretation of exactly what happened in that steadiness sequence too. But essentially the bird has to be retrieved to hand. Yeah. And same with the steadiness, you know, if the dog keeps its back feet there, but kind of has to pivot to Mark, you know, it's all up to the judge's discretion and what they saw in that exact moment. And was that movement necessary and things like that. But these are the general guidelines. Um, then if another dog goes on point, your dog has to back it without being woed, which that means this dog's on point and Ideally, the next dog is just pointing that dog without yeah, a wind advantage. Yep. Essentially, you come in and point the other dog, sight pointing. That's what backing would be. They're not coming in and working up and stealing point in front of that dog. They're not working in until they get a nose full of that bird that that other dog is pointing. They are trusting that that other dog has a bird located and yep. they're stopping so that they don't all ultimately overpressure that bird and make a mistake. 
then ultimately uh, they have to finish that process by honoring that dog's retrieve sequence. So bird has to be shot, dog has to break, has to make a retrieve in order for it to count. That is what they're looking for. Yes. So, And and all of that stuff then has to be done every single time it pops up as an opportunity. So if you get 12 backing opportunities in a brace, you have to do that 12 times. Now, if you haven't, and the, the only stipulation with the whole thing is you have to find a bird in order to be eligible at all. If you find a bird, they'll help set up a retrieve. They'll help set up an honoring situation in what's called a callback. But if you don't find a bird, you go birdless. Um, you don't you, pass. You don't pass. You don't have an opportunity to pass. Yep. So. so all of those pieces have to be done every single time there's a bird contact opportunity or your dog doesn't pass that test. And they have to pass that six times to become a master hunter. Unless... Yep. They have a senior hunter title, and then they only have to pass five times. Yep. So just wanted to go into a little more explanation of what it truly means to be a master hunter. Thank you guys for asking great questions. We had fun answering them. And we'll be back in part three. All right, and welcome back to part three of this week's Yawa, where we are going to answer a few questions for you. If you haven't watched yet, go back and watch part one and two of this week. And for those of you that are listening, uh, you've probably already listened if you're this far. So, <laughs> And I just wanted to mention, because it's kind of a new process, that we are taking all of the questions that we are answering from YouTube comments on our previous Yawa videos. So if you are wanting your question answered next week, you need to be thrown in the comments below. If you're wanting your questions answered tonight or tomorrow, you need to be signing up on Patreon, patreon.com slash standingstonekennels, where you can answer, ask us questions, and we will answer them on the daily. Speaking of Patreon, we are getting so close to 300 patrons, which is so awesome. You guys, the patrons are the ones that are allowing us to get cool video equipment, like our new drone. So if you haven't seen our new hunting dog health, getting your dog in shape for hunting season video, where we featured the new drone footage, um, you should definitely be checking that out. Yes. And as well in that video, I show our step-by-step, maybe not necessarily what you should be doing with your dogs, but it probably wouldn't hurt them to follow along with our prep for the hunting season schedule. And that is a really good segue into some of our questions because a lot of people watched that video and then they had questions for you about that process. Bring them on, bring them on. Bring them on. So this was a good question and I don't think we actually mentioned it in the video from Ashley Smith. Do you do this in the morning or evening when it's cooler out? I ask because when I run my dog for 10 minutes when it's 80 plus out, he will be wobbling and almost falling over. So I won't let him Too hot. run only a few minutes when it's warm. Any advice? Wobbling and almost falling over. You have gone too far, dear. Or yes. sir. Ashley is a Ashley is probably name. a boy. Okay. Ashley. I'm, but I don't know. That could be a bad assumption. Yeah. Either way. So. Person. You have gone too far. You need to be reading those signs and or preparing and or preventing any of those things from happening in the future. Now, as far as our dogs, we're pretty much doing it first thing in the morning. Um, Zoe, one of our trainers and assistant trainers, is uh, pretty much in charge of the roading regiment. And uh, she does a great job. And all of that happens first thing back at dawn. And so as far as temperatures, it's usually 70s or Right now, this time of year, is probably mm-hmm. low 70s when they're running. I think, it was, yeah, I think and, it was in the 60s this morning, but it was cool. Yeah, but a lot of times it's not over the mid-70s and cloudy. Definitely not in the 80s. Yeah, definitely not 80 plus, and that's mm-hmm. not nope. the time that we would be running the dogs. So Good question, though. Good question. question, and definitely one that when we shoot another conditioning, hunting dog health, roading video, we'll make sure to put that in that specific video because I'm thinking that that's a question that's going to get asked a lot. Could be. What do we have next? We have another question from TJ. TJ. I have a seven-year-old GSP that I can't put weight on. 
To keep this short, I have tried everything for weight gain health checks. I'm worried about his health as he looks sickly after a weekend of hunting from losing weight he can't afford to. That suggested a round of anabolic steroids to see how he does. Do you have any experiences or advice with going this route? Probably seven weeks. Seven years old. Seven years. Yes. Okay. So um, obviously we don't have all of the information, don't have enough information to give exactly what you know, we think could be going on. But a few things that I wanted to mention is um, definitely if your vet's making recommendations, they've had their eyes on your dog. They are, you know, have tons of experience and training and learning to years of schooling, make those recommendations. And we are just average Joes that have seen a dog or seen a dog or two, but we are not vets. My first question would be, what are you feeding? That is my, my number one, two. And how much are you feeding? Yep. If you've done the vet checks, I'm assuming then we don't have worms. We don't have anything on blood work that shows up that's abnormal. Those as would be some pretty standard things. As far as like, things. you know, thyroid, because thyroid is, can be off on a dog and they need thyroid medication. Yeah. Yep. So those are typically some of the things we look at, um, as well as amount of food, type of food. Um, I know that fat and protein is a huge part of dog food. So making sure you're feeding a high fat and protein diet would be important and food feeding at least, at least the recommended amount of food as well. So I don't know what they're eating. TJ definitely throw us a response in there or hit us up on Patreon where we can get back to you uh, before next week. And then the last thing that I wanted to mention is you don't mention if they are neutered or not, but definitely neutering dogs slows down their metabolism as well. I know that has happened for Nick's, our male who's eight. Mm-hmm. Um, he was neutered and he went from a harder keeper where he definitely is using everything we're giving him to maintain weight, especially during hunting season, to an easy keeper. He does a uh, combination of the the neutering aspect of things and then probably just getting older is the the double whammy there. Yep, but definitely um, that's another thing to consider is, you know, that metabolism could slow down a little bit if he is neutered. So lots of other information that we need in order to be able to give you enough feedback on that question. Okay, so on to the next question. What have we got? Um, There was a good one about collar conditioning. Here it is. Ooh, ooh, ooh. From... Emily Rodriguez, mm-hmm. our GSP puppy is 16 weeks old. Okay. We laid the groundwork with positive reinforcement for recall, clicker plus nice. treat, until he started getting very confident around two weeks ago when we introduced his e-collar following your suggested steps for introduction. The first week and a half was great. He would recall every time with vibrate. Starting a few days ago, however, he will not listen to the vibrate at all. Uh-huh. We have tried low-level stimulus, and he ignores this as well. When he is ignoring the collar, he is sniffing or just running happily around me. We have Distracted. done. We have done his collar training outdoors in an open field with limited distractions for the most part. Is this to be expected with his age, or could something else be going on? And I thought that this was a really good question because it sounds very similar to Thunder. Oh, it's Thunder to a T. And so we did Thunder's introduction to e-collar training um, with Vibrate. and Shot was, a video of that. Shot a video of Looked that. Looked fantastic. Yep. He responded really, really well. And then in the next week or so, he started getting even more bold and even more confident and more distracted and listening with Vibrate. Not at all. Pretty much not. And um, it definitely it sounds like you're doing everything right in the sense of using some stimulation just keep in mind that the collar fit is important. So it needs to be snug enough that he's consistently feeling that stimulation. Yep. Um, so proper collar fit. And then throwing a check cord on your puppy is also not a bad idea. Even when you think you're in a low distraction environment, it sounds like you're in an open field. So if you start using some stimulation and he doesn't respond immediately or you know he gets a little unsure of what's going on having that attachment to him via a check cord so he isn't just running around willy-nilly will allow you to redirect his focus absolutely the other side of it that i can say as far as collar conditioning aspect of things would just be finding a level that's going to pull focus yes so that you're was saying my you, next you're saying you're lose you're using low levels of stem and the thing that people get wrapped up on is that number okay so that number means nothing it really does not. 
we need to find whatever level that the dog is going to respond to, whatever pulls their focus in that specific situation. And it's going to be different. High distraction, higher the level. Low distraction, lower level. And we and need every to, dog is different too. Yeah, 100%, which is why the numbers mean nothing. So you have dog A, they respond on a nine. You have dog B, they respond on a two. It doesn't really matter. Use whatever level, go up until you see, okay, I hit that nick button. That's typically what we would use is a tap the continuous or use your momentary button, tap, tap. And that's a really nice thing about DT systems collars is they have vibrate as an individual button. They have continuous as an individual button and they have nick as an individual button. So you don't have to rotate through cycles. You don't have to do anything else. It's very simple, very easy to use. Um, And that's all the collars that we use is DT systems. So um, but you would hit your Nick button tap. Uh, he didn't, he didn't acknowledge any of that. Go up a little bit, Nick, go up a little bit, Nick, go up a little, Nick. There he is. He turned his head a little bit, saw something, pulled his focus. Hey, 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 now we've got his attention away from whatever he was doing. Hit vibrate. You're going to see that recall just like he wanted. If you lose focus on the way back, veers off, Nick button again, pull focus back to you. Hey, 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 Sparky, you get a name? No. Okay, Sparky, vibrate here, finish that out. And then you've got uh, a more consistent situation. He's going to learn if he just responds to vibrate, he can avoid the stimulation, which in this case is being used as positive punishment or adding punishment to the situation when he doesn't first respond to that mild negative reinforcement of the vibrate. Yes. So we actually also have a video out using legend. It's from a while ago when he was quite a bit younger talking about vibration versus stimulation. And that would be a good resource if you haven't seen that video already, as well as I know we mention it all the time, but if you're really struggling, throwing a video up on our online dog training community on Patreon and getting some feedback from us being able to actually get our eyes on the situation and say, Hey, this is how you can handle that situation would be a really good option. Absolutely. So thank you for the question. All right. Next question from Justin Pernisky. Hey, Justin. Hey, guys. Maybe a Yawa. Yawa. That's what we're doing with it. What age do you guys recommend starting roading? I have read anywhere from six months to 18 months. I know it depends on breed growth rate, but do you have a good rule of thumb? Also, for younger dogs that growth plates aren't fully developed but have a lot of energy, what would be a good option before roading or treadmill workouts? Thanks for all of these. I'm going to be getting a poodle pointer this coming spring, so I'm asking as much info as I can digest. I love it. So the roading thing is, and you're going to hear that a lot. I mean, that's going to be probably the most consistent thing that you hear from individual unique dog trainers is that they are in, they are very consistently inconsistent. Um, if you ask, a, I've heard multiple people say, if you ask a hundred dog trainers, you get a hundred answers and they'll all be different. So it's, it's one of those things that ideally the more mature the dog is, our rough demand number is going to be 12 plus months. So if they fall into that, you're usually structurally closer to mature but I don't think that growth plates completely close up or completely to that point until after two or something to that effect, 26 months. And I'm sure it depends on the breed of the dog, you know, those larger yeah. breed dogs and things like that. Those growth plates are going to take longer to close where if you've got a little breed dog, um, you may not be roading them, but they're going to close quicker. Yep. So ultimately, the closer we can get to maturity, the better. And then as far as you have a wound up pop, you need to burn some steam off. Treadmilling or a little bit of roading is okay, but it's got to be pretty minimal. And what we're trying to do is prevent over abundance of trauma to those bones during that important development stage. Yeah. And when we talk about roading, the way that our roading rig is set up, it's not so much about pulling. There is a little pulling, but mm-hmm. it's not like sled dog pulling. It's no. more of a pacing, a little bit of pulling. Um, it's kind of like just controlled running. Yes. Definitely. So that's one thing to keep in mind as well when you're setting up maybe your own roading rig, um, that it's not necessarily about the pull. And another thing that you can do for burning off steam is, you know, free running the dogs. Um, free running is going to be a little safer. 
But then probably most importantly out of all of the things is going to be more mental stimulation. Um, doing training type events and sessions that challenge your dog mentally is going healing, to be yes. healing, healing. Once your puppy's over six months old and they're super independent in the field, work a lot on that obedience. That's going to be very mentally taxing for that puppy. Yep. And you'll see just as big of benefits, um, if not more sometimes from a mentally exhausted pup as you will from a physically exhausted pup. They don't seem to uh, bounce back as quickly from a mental exhaustion standpoint and uh, especially in the early stages of that. But if you have plans to take them further in training, they need you need to start growing that brain uh, early or they give you a lot more pushback. Yeah, because a little bit of stress, so expecting your puppy to lay on a dog bed for longer is going to help them grow because stress is important for growth. And if they can stay on a dog bed for a longer duration through more distractions, that's another mentally taxing exercise that you can do with your puppy at home um, that's not going to risk growth plates or anything like that. Yeah. So like Kat said, stress is extremely important, just like it is for any other growth. Things like muscle development. You start working your muscles, they break down a little bit, they get sore, they grow back. You stress them too much, they break, they take a long time to fix that. So keep that in mind when you're working with your dogs. It's going to be the same. You push them too far, it's going to take a long time to fix those things. Good question. Probably have time for one or two more. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, and something that I don't think that we always talk about from PM Doran 100. How do you do deal with a female dog's period? We waited to have our current dog spayed. Unless we keep a diaper on her, there are drops everywhere. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Learning a lot from you both. So we have been asked a ton. This was actually on one of our Yawas from a long time ago with Peter, who we actually talked about in part one. Yes. So, um, Peter, Peter. Yes. He is a veterinarian and we talked about, you know, when to spay or neuter and we recommended and he recommended and we talked about it waiting until the dog's females are about a year or have had their first heat cycle. So to get through that, obviously you have to deal with a heat cycle. Well, what do you do? Diaper. That's pretty much your, your option. Yeah. They make uh puppy, um, panties. panties basically. And you can put a little panting liner in it and it collects most of the blood that way. And uh, just remember to take them off before you send them outside to go to the bathroom. Aside from that, they're going to bleed everywhere. And we have the ability that a lot of times they end up just getting a little less uh, house access during that time. And some of the other dogs get rotated up in another position. Yep. But puppy panties and um, to mention, females go through heat cycles typically twice a year, every six months. Um, not everybody knows that. And we have been dealing with dogs for so long that it kind of becomes second nature that we're like, oh yeah, heat cycles every six months. Um, but not everybody knows that. So once your female goes through a heat cycle, if you're not planning on breeding her, it would be healthier for her to go ahead and get spayed. Um, you won't have to worry about things like pyometras and um, developing cancer and things like that. Accidental breedings. That as well. Um, so she's had her first heat cycle. You got to deal with it once, then go ahead and make the decision um, to go ahead and get her spayed. And that's going to be healthier for her overall, as well as you're not going to have to worry about heat cycles in the house and doggy diapers and panties and things like that. So Absolutely. This was another good question from Isaac Turton. Aha. Hey there, longtime fan. I know during formal training, it is best to not do other activities that can distract or take away from that training, such as dog parks later in the day or fun fetching. What other activities do you recommend to do with your dog that will stimulate them throughout the day when you are not training? You got this, babe. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yes, when we're working on specific formal training tasks, for example, if we're working on formal woe training, I'm not taking the dog to the field for the opportunity to point birds because I have no way to reinforce what I'm trying to be working on right now with that formal woe training. Um, same with formal retrieving. If we're working on formal retrieving work, we're not going to be playing fun fetch in the backyard because the naughty habits that we're doing that formal retrieving work to correct are just going to come out and then it's going to make your training process a lot more difficult. It's going to take a little bit more time, things like that. Yes. I would also say um, 
there are other instances where working on fun things, then your dog can potentially hold out during those training sessions that might not be as enjoyable. I mean, it's formal work. It's taking a lot of obedience into account and those That's dogs- a pretty pukey behavior. I mean, it's a pretty pukey behavior, but it happens. And I think that people overlook that kind of thing. It's like, and, oh, well, I'll do something fun for them to enjoy. Well, part of it is helping them to understand that they can enjoy the formal work aspect of it too. But if you're constantly, you know, putting Brussels sprouts on the table and feeding them cookies after dinner, whether they really ate it or not, they're never going to learn to eat the Brussels sprouts. So Yeah, so we want to make sure that I'm they... I'm getting a bunch of comments right now, right after that statement. They're coming in. Who eats Brussels sprouts? I ate Brussels sprouts. Nobody eats Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. I like them. We have a really awesome recipe for Brussels sprouts, actually, with bacon and apples mm-hmm. on the trigger. That's a Kayla special. Mm-hmm. Good, yes. Kayla taught us this one, and we uh, use it probably... Too Every much. time we have pork chops, yeah. it's my like go-to side for pork, pork chops. chops. So keep in mind that um, when you're working on some of these formal tasks, you don't have to make everything else super duper fun. You can work on other obedience tasks as well. So if you're working on formal woe training or formal retrieving, I, all that formal training I am talking about has a ton of obedience-based behaviors Absolutely. that we're working on. So work on other obedience tasks like place training and healing as well. Um, Like we talked about before, those are all very mentally taxing as well. So you actually might not need to do as much as you think because your dog's brain is working really hard to process everything that they're learning through formal woe training, formal, um, you know, retrieving training, all of those things. And they might not be able to handle as much as you're trying to throw at them brain overload and giving them some time off. You know, it says like on days that you're not training, giving dogs a couple days off to percolate on what they've learned. They come back fresher, more willing to work. Um, it's almost like that time off helped you get further in your training. We've seen it before. We've seen it um, with legend, legend yeah. currently when we're doing his trained retrieve sessions, um, that we've got a series going out now, uh, he doesn't get worked every single day. He gets time to process what we've worked on. And then we come back the next time and he does much better and improves on what we've already taught him. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself, which is why he left me to answer that one pretty much on my own. <laughs> Uh, folks, that's all we've got time for this week. We appreciate everybody that threw comments in the comment section, questions for this Yawa. And we want encourage you, if you have questions for us, and we didn't get to yours this week, to either throw it in the comments for next week or hit us up on Patreon. I am the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. And we'll see you in the next video. <laughs>